Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, and you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. So would you say that that's kind of like the lightning bolt moment for you? And that's what I taught myself how to draw, was actually the Little Mermaid, drawing stills of Ariel. I've got better things to do tonight than die. jumped out of his chair and said, who the F is this? I remember walking out of the theater and saying, I'm going to write Halloween I'm rather impressed with your research. Rarely do people ask me about children in the corner. It doesn't have to be perfect, just do it. You know, throw some spaghetti against the wall. This is George Soroy saying to all of you, ever upward. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys, part of the Once Upon a Podcast Network. This is George Soroy. Happy New Year, and welcome to the premiere of Season 8 of the Excelsior Journeys podcast. It has been over 250 episodes. It has been over five years. I still can't believe how far this show has gone, and I'm proud to say that the Once Upon a Podcast Network which is which is where Excelsior Journeys calls home. It is almost one year old now. And so I am just so thrilled with how far that has gone as well as this show. And I'm also really thrilled on a personal level that that the bout of COVID that I was dealing with last month, thank you, Santa Social, is is just about gone to the point where you can't really hear it in my voice as much anymore. So I'm really, really happy about that. So the timing of that is perfect. And the timing for this episode is also perfect. And the reason why is because my guest this week, Stephanie Moon, is someone who I believe will be a huge help to all of you authors out there. Those of you who don't know, I am also an author, a published author. I have two deals that are in the works right now with Ronan Weatherford for the Excelsior trilogy and for the complete serial of From Parts Unknown. There's a lot going on with that. I talked about that a bit in the season seven finale, and I am just really excited about what is to come with them. But I know that there are a whole lot of other authors that are out there that have been listening to the show, that have been guests on this show, that have their own books out, that are getting ready to put those books out. And very likely, one of their New Year's resolutions was that they were going to be getting a little bit more aggressive with the marketing of those books, because that's one thing that a lot of us authors have in common. We love to write. We love to get those books together. We love, love, love the feeling of having that finished book in our hands, but we don't know how to market ourselves. We don't know how to get the word out there. And we need people like Stephanie who can help us with getting the right message out there. Stephanie has over 15 years in marketing and publicity for publishers dealing with small and medium lifestyles and kids brands. She has a ton of great experience when it comes to marketing. She also has the insight and expertise to build brands organically and increase brand awareness and sales. Always the big thing. You can keep on getting that awareness as much as you like, but you, it's got to it's gotta be converted into sales. And that's where she comes in to really help us out. And so as we start this brand new year of 2024, we always want to get a little bit more aggressive when it comes to getting the awareness of our books out there and hopefully convert that awareness into sales. And that's where Stephanie comes in. So it is my pleasure to introduce my guest for this week, Stephanie Moon. Stephanie, how are you? Hi, George. I'm doing great. Thank you. That was such a lovely intro. Well, you are a, a 
a prime piece of what it is that, that, that it takes for a lot of authors to succeed these days, because we, no matter what, whether they've gone the, the indie route, whether they've gone the traditional publishing route, they still have to do the lion's share of marketing, of promoting, of getting themselves out there. And not, not all of us, very few of us, I would say, really have that component in our heads that yep. we can actually sell what it is that we write. Yeah. I mean, I think you bring up such a good point, right? Whether you're going the traditional route or the indie route, the author is doing so much more marketing and selling and promotion than even 10 years ago and definitely more than like 20 years ago, way in the past. And I think if your audience is curious, which I always feel like they might, people are, is that why, even if you're going with a traditional publisher, they're looking to you is that when they've signed a deal with you, they're, they signed a deal because you're the expert, your audience, and they want you to tap into them. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. And again, this is one of those cases where having someone who has that experience on your side, on your team, that that can really make the difference between a success and some and a book that's just going to be looked at as well it could have been but right. it's people can say that like oh this book is fabulous why am i just now knowing about it and right. and thankfully thankfully the the parameters of publishing have changed to the point where it's not you just have like one month or something like that to get it out there and get awareness and then it goes away it can stay in print for so much longer thanks to digital. Right. But, but at the same time, it's just like we only have, there's still, you, you still have a window of time to really work with, to really get that sort of notice out there. Would you say? So, well, I do think though, <clears throat> a lot of authors and publishers really focus on that pre-order time frame, right? The, the time frame leading up to the on-sale date. And I mm -hmm. think that that's, Good, but that's only really like matters if you're trying to get on a bestsellers list or if you're trying to mm. hit bestseller status somewhere. Yeah. But if you don't really care about that and you care more about like long term sustained sales, you can, you can and should be promoting after the book because just like you said, because of digital formats and audio formats and even print formats, depending on how you print the book or how you publish, your book has so much life after it's on after it's on sale really your on sale date i try to tell people is the birth of your book baby that's mm -hmm. like a day it's finally available for a consumer or a reader to say oh i saw this book i'm gonna go buy it and then i will get it in two days a week or go into a store and get it because mm -hmm. a lot of consumers don't understand or really care about pre-orders. They were like, why am I going to spend $20 on this book that I do want to read, but I have to wait two weeks, two months, four months before I get it. It just, it's like a really hard thing for like consumers to compute and understand, especially mm -hmm. when we live in a time where you can get a delivery of basically anything in two hours from Instacart. You yeah. can get anything from Amazon in two days. You can, everything is like instant, right? Mm -hmm. So that idea of pre-order and get it weeks or months from now is just like not something consumers really get, like get on board with really easily. Yeah. 
It's almost like the the art, because there really is an art that, that, that goes with it, of the teaser poster for a film. Yes. And when when they're done right, oh, man, they look awesome. And right. they're just a, a tiniest little hint of what's to come. Right. Uh, there, was, there was a great, I mean, for, for me, it's just like, it doesn't get any better than the June 23rd poster for Batman 1989. Because that was, you want to talk about like a seminal marketing moment. That, to me, still stands as the single greatest marketing extravaganza that I've ever seen for a film. And that all started with just one black poster with the bad emblem, not even all of it, just like it was cut off on, on the sides and just saying June 23rd. And for the uninitiated viewer and fan, they had to, they had to make an effort to really look at it and see exactly what it was. So, but from there, it just like, it just built and built and built. So would you say that would you say that when it comes to books, using that sort of format would actually help to kind of gain more, gain more attention? Um, okay. So I think every, this is probably the most annoying answer. Every mm-hmm. audience is so different. So I think it yeah. depends on the type of book that you're writing and selling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think there's always this, um, a lot of clients and authors I've worked with, they're like, oh, I don't want to give too much away about the book. I don't want to give too much away about the book, whether their book is um, like a piece of fiction, whether it's like a cookbook. Um, and for me as a marketer, I'm like, you have to tell people what to expect in the book. So yeah. if you're <clears throat> if you're writing like a YA novel, right, you have to tell like the reader what they're going to get. And if you mm-hmm. don't tell them, they're not going to know and then they're not going to want to buy your book. And sure. I also think if you're writing something more like nonfiction, even though you don't want to give away the entire book, it's like you never know really what's going to resonate with which part of your audience. And honestly, if somebody is going and you can try talking about your book in different ways on different channels. But if somebody is really going to take the time to piece all of that together to like get the full story, then let them, because that means they're like a super fan. That means they're invested. Yeah, exactly. They're so invested, but like nobody's going to do that because like the amount that people are actually seeing your social posts and all of that stuff is so little that Mm -hmm. you want to give people as much information as you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So before we go further into the details, I want to know a little bit more about you and your background. There's something that I like to talk about is what I say, what I call the lightning bolt moment. And that's that moment in time when someone experiences something, hears something, meet someone, read something, and it just makes them say, ooh, that's what I want to do. That's the kind of direction I want to go in. That's the kind of person I want to be. What was it for you that got everything going in in this realm? Were you a writer at first and then you just decided to go into marketing? What was your, what's your origin story basically? So, excuse me, as a kid, I always loved to read and I grew up in the Bay Area. So Mm -hmm. it's full of like tech, right? Like Silicon Valley. And so Mm -hmm. when I graduated from college, I was, I studied marketing and I wanted to do marketing. And I thought about like, okay, can I work at someplace like Google? And I was like, I don't even get like, I don't even know what I'm marketing. This is so intangible. And so I really wanted to work in publishing and was able to find a publisher. 
to work for and basically fell in love with the whole idea, getting to work with creatives, getting to work on tangible products, getting to work on kids books. And it was literally so amazing. And so I got to do so much through my career at the traditional publisher. And then I think the lightning bolt moment for me, for my own starting my own business is that throughout the whole time that I worked with authors before at the publishers, there would be so many times that authors would say to me like, well, one, they would ask me maybe like a month before the book was out, like, what do you think I should be doing? And I'm like, wait a minute, you should have been doing this like a long time ago. Like now is like crunch time. They'd Mm -hmm. be like, oh, should I like start an email list right now? And I'm like, no, no, no. That's like, a years long like commitment. You can't start it in one month for your on sale date of four weeks from now. Mm-hmm. And but then a lot of times authors would be like, well, Stephanie, like, why are books, my books not selling? Is it like not a good book? And for me, I'm like, no, your book is amazing, but people just don't know about it. People mm-hmm. don't know that you wrote a book. And there would be so many times where authors would post like three times about their book and be like, but I told my audience three times. And I'm like, yes, you did, which is fine, but you need to tell them more. You have to understand that people are so busy. People are like, have such short attention spans that you need to really remind them and remind them that you wrote this book because they do, if they're in your community, they want to support you, right? But mm-hmm. you have to like remind them and tell them. And it, it for me, like helping people do this is like helping people's dreams come true, like helping them like get their book from the store or Amazon or whatever into somebody's hands. That's what I like love the most. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. And so, with that in mind, once once you got that sort of that sort of drive to to really help out people, because it sounds like you already have like the answers in terms of like what is going to help an author succeed mm-hmm. and what they should have done for themselves. What was what was that first client that you were able to really kind of what was the feeling of working with that first client and just kind of being able to kind of guide them through the process and then all of a sudden see the reward in that book being a success? Yeah. So I think that so many times when authors think about being an author, they think mm-hmm. about, they think, I'm going to go to a cabin in the woods and have a typewriter <laughs> or my laptop, look out at a lake and like type for five days or two weeks or whatever it is. And no, then like, never the case. <laughs> and then that's it. And then <clears throat> they also think of this like idealized marketing journey. If you have a traditional publisher, they think mm-hmm. of, I'm going to go on a book tour and we're going to have like long martini lunches with my editors and bookstores filled with people. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, if you're like Michelle Obama, if you're mm-hmm. like getting a seven figure deal, sure. But I think what others don't realize is that like writing your book is only half the journey. The other Mm -hmm. half is promotion and marketing. And from my perspective, as like a marketing professional, you should be starting to think about your marketing, finding your audience, building your audience, connecting with your audience, like the day you also decide you want to write a book. Because Mm. it's it's that your audience are the people that are going to buy your book, right? And you want to feel as connected and in tune with them as possible. And 
that's the one thing you can't rush. So yeah. I'm always saying to a lot of times authors come to me and they're like, oh, but my website doesn't look that good. Oh, I don't know what color I want to use for my logo. I'm like, nope. I'm like, no one's looking at your website. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Like no one knows who you are. Right. Yeah. It would be an amazing problem to have people be like flocking to your website. But I really say to them, like, if you had to build a website, like we could do it in a weekend if we had to. It would be simple and it would be pretty streamlined, but we could do it. What you cannot do in a weekend is build an audience of engaged, interested and ready to like buy community members. Right. Mm, that yeah. takes a long and serious time commitment, right? That's like mm -hmm. both you committing to them and them being like committed to you, like getting to know you, wanting to hear about your journey, all of that. That's great. Yeah. And what, what sort of, what sort of resources that are out there right now would you say to someone who is they're They're not quite there yet. And like they're starting to really kind of realize that like, Hey, my book's going to be coming out soon. I got to ramp things up. I got to get things moving. What sort of resources would you recommend? I mean, definitely come on a podcast. That would, that would definitely help. Yeah. But uh, what other, what other means would you recommend? So of course, like there's working with like a marketing person or even understanding, I think the fundamentals of marketing mm -hmm. are going to help you as an author because you are in charge of marketing your book, right? Yeah. Especially if you are <clears throat> going the indie route. So mm -hmm. like one thing that I also try to help authors remember is that I get that a traditional deal is not for everybody, but your publisher, when you do get the deal, is doing a lot of stuff in the background, right? They mm -hmm. are designing the book, they're producing the book, they're shipping the book, they're selling the book into stores, right? But mm -hmm. when you're an indie author, you have to do all of that or no one's going to, unless you're paying yeah. somebody to do that, right? And I think there's like kind of this disconnect for an indie author of like, who's going to, who, who's going to do that or how it's going to get done or how easy or hard it's going to be. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, when you choose that route, you get to be the boss, but you're also the boss of everything, right? Not just yeah. only the parts you want to be. Mm -hmm. You're the employer and the employees. Exactly. Really. And, and you can't exactly fire yourself. So. Exactly. And yeah. I also find that sometimes just others are so burnt out by the time they're done writing the book and editing the book and that they just feel like I don't have any more energy to give. And it's like the, my best piece of advice there is to like take a little break so you can feel excited about it again, because mm -hmm. my heart breaks when I see somebody who spent like years writing a book, developing it, editing it. And then when it comes to the marketing piece, they just like fall flat. They're just like, I'm too tired. I'm going to like promote it for one week. And mm -hmm. I want to like scream at them like, Hey, Hey, wait, you spend three years every weekend or every night working on this book and you're going to only promote this for one week. Like that no. feels like such a, it's like such a heartbreak because they've spent so much time and probably money at that point mm -hmm. to produce their book. But then nobody really gets to read it because you can put your book on sale on Amazon. You can put it wherever, but there's like a million, literally a million books that are published every year more mm -hmm. now since self-publishing is has like a lower barrier to entry there's like more ways yeah. to do it and so mm -hmm. no one's gonna find your book unless you tell them about it yeah and it just whenever I, whenever i think about you know like the barrier the 
barrier of entry when it comes to self-publishing. I always think back to um, a book that I got back in 2001 called The Complete Idiot's Guide to Publishing Science Fiction. And it was a, a very informative book for its time. And there was basically one paragraph that was dedicated to self-publishing. And all it said was simply, don't do it. It's the last gasp for any sort of author. It's the it's it's the last ditch effort. You will have to pay to get your, your book out there. Your reputation will be ruined. Everything was just like just constantly just completely dumping on the notion of self-publishing. And then it goes like, all right, now that now that you're not going to go in that direction, let's talk about everything else you need to do. And then what happens about eight years later, I find the complete idiot's guide to self-publishing. And so yep. it's it's shown that, like, yeah, it was, and it was just around that time. That's when the Kindle came out. That's when digital publishing start, started up. That's when everything really opened up to the point where just like a lot of people realized like, hey, there are other means of getting my book out there. And I went that route in 2008 when I wrote, when I finished up the first draft of the first Excelsior book, mm-hmm. I was so convinced that all I had to do was touch it up a little bit and then I could start shopping it around to agents because it has universal appeal and everyone will really enjoy it. And I sent the draft over to a dear friend who was also a writer and an editor. And she looked at that first chapter and goes, wow, this is going to take a lot of work. And I'm so glad we did. We put in the work. We put in almost two years worth of editing. Yeah. And it was during that time. That's when I realized I was just going to go indie with this because I didn't want to risk anything happening to these characters. If I were to get it uh, set up with a publisher and it failed, then that's it then that was my only shot to do that story. They own the rights, they own the characters, they own that and everything. And what am I supposed to do? So I decided I was going to self-publish it. And at that time, there were, there were other, there was other, there was slowly getting notoriety like Indiegogo and Kickstarter, things like that. And I decided I was going to do a, basically a pre-order. And I set up like a, an er- early bird special. That's what I said. That. I said that if you take advantage of this deal and pay $17.95, you're not only guaranteeing your own signed copy sent over to you or handed to you, depending on where you are, but your name's going to be listed in the, um, in the acknowledgements in the back of the book. And everyone wants to see their name in print. So that wound up building up all of the funds that I needed for the setup, for the printing, for the shipping, for everything. And so it wasn't the case of me having to pay to get my book out. It was my readers paying. And so at the end of that, I wound up having like a mild success on my hands. And that first edition of the book is so completely obsolete now that it's gone through so many different changes over the years. And that's another part that that I'm that I'm curious to get your perspective on is before you just had once the book was in print that was it and mm-hmm. but now with with everything that's that's gone on all of the new resources that are at our fingertips mm-hmm. we can create second editions third editions in the case of Excelsior like Excelsior is going to be going into its fourth edition and it might wind up being different from the third I don't know but it's sure different from the first and second yeah. So I'm yeah. curious to know like what your thoughts are on that, on that realm, with a with a book being able to kind of move from place to place. 
Yeah. So first I applaud like your effort to get your book out, right? Like you, that's like the type of passion. I think that the most successful authors have that one where they're like, okay, I'm so I've worked so hard on my book that people need to read this, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever, however they get it. And that's amazing. So congratulations. And then the part about different versions, I think, I think you're right. There can be so many kind of different iterations as it evolves, right? Like as you evolve as a writer, as you get feedback from your readers. And Mm -hmm. I think it's okay because I think that if the story is good, people will want to see like, okay, so like how has the author changed it on the next version Mm. because they've obviously gotten feedback. So I think it's, I think it's okay. And I think the other thing about like so many publishing resources being available is that it's easier also for an author to kind of like spin off either like a character, right. Into Mm -hmm. its own series or like, detail out this one part of the story that you don't have time for maybe in the original book. So that gives a lot of content to the reader, which Mm -hmm. is amazing. And that also helps the reader buy into your story and your community and your world that you've created. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely become its own little world because when it came out initially in 2010, the friends and family that that uh, got it they they enjoyed it and everything and they went ahead and put in their their comments on Amazon and I was really appreciative about that <clears throat> and when and then afterwards not long after that that's when it came out on ebook and it did fairly well there it wound up being a mild success another one and In 2013, I saw that there was a small press in St. Louis, which is where I had moved to at the time, looking for new books. And I pitched them Excelsior. And they came back and said, this this looks great. The story looks really sound. But I see that you've self-published. Is there a reason why you're reaching out to to a publisher for this? Mm -hmm. And I said that my reasoning is because I feel like I've kind of hit the ceiling on where I can take it. And I need someone else to really kind of invest in it and work with me, not for me, not just to Mm -hmm. say like, here, you do all the work. It's just like, I need a, I need a broader audience and I need a team behind me. And that's Mm -hmm. where kind of like my, my thoughts on self-publishing really kind of shifted. I am very appreciative that I went that the route initially for self-publishing, Yeah, but I also know everything that, that it takes to go into that. Mm-hmm. And it's, it can be very grueling. And at that point I was look, I was working a full-time job. I still am. I'm just still fully employed that where I am right now. And there's a whole lot that goes into making those decisions and putting up the money to properly do it. So I applaud anyone who goes in that direction. But at the same time, it's just like I realized that I needed to go in a more traditional direction. And that wound up being the case with Excelsior when it got picked up by that small press. And then when that small press went out of business, it got picked up by another one. And the great thing about that one was I was able to basically rewrite the book almost from the ground up because they let their editor take a look at it. And despite the editor being one of my best friends, she also took a sledgehammer to it. And 
there was, turns out there were a lot of cracks that I wasn't really privy to. And so getting that initial, initial additional perspective for it really helped me kind of figure out like, oh, so this needs to go there and this needs to go over there. And, and it wound up actually building it up to a much better state, which, and, and the great thing about that was it was that version that got a book bub deal. One, one year after its, its, uh, its launch, my publisher was able to set it up for a wider distribution. As soon as he did that, he reached out to BookBub and he got a feature deal for it. And that got me what I you know, now say international bestseller status because it hit – I got my flag, my number one bestseller flag on Amazon.com for one category. Mm-hmm. And it also got – number one bestseller on three other categories on Amazon Canada. So as soon as I saw that, I was just like, Ooh, international. There you go. (laughs) uh, I mean, I think you bring up such a good point, right? Okay. So what the publisher is doing and like you mentioned, it's like, there's, it's like basically like decision fatigue when you're publishing the book, right? Aside from writing it, you have to decide, okay, so what's the page going to look like? What's the font going to look like? What's the cover going to look like? What kind of paper are we going to use? What kind of binding are we going to use? And I think in the beginning for an author, right, like that feels like so fun and it feels so interesting. But also there's like a lot of like technicality and there's a lot of like, expertise that comes with that depending on where you get it printed how you get it printed how many books are going to fit in a case what's the shipping going to be like what's the cover going to be like how is this going to wear in a store there's so many questions right and when Mm -hmm. you're working with a publisher like the person that's working on each part of that process is like a subject matter expert in that. It's like mm-hmm. the production person knows, okay, you don't want this type of paper because it rips easily or it is hard to turn the page or this paper feels close to this, but it's like half the price, whatever whatever it is, they mm-hmm. are an expert, right? And as an author, you're, you're obviously just not an expert unless you've worked in publishing. And yeah. there's just so many tiny decisions to make and so wanted to kind of really call that out oh and then the distribution part like Mm -hmm. I know that authors feel or I see on the internet that authors feel like they get the short end of the stick when they're working with a publisher in their like marketing department isn't doing much but what I also tried to share is that what the marketing department is really doing is they're really marketing and selling your book to their sales department. So Mm -hmm. like kind of the example I give is let's say your book is distributed or an imprint of like Penguin Random House, right? Mm -hmm. Your book is being sold by the same person that is selling every single other book across the board, mostly. Mm -hmm. So it's like hundreds of other books are in this salesperson's like repertoire for this season only. Mm -hmm. And so the marketing department at a publisher is really trying to differentiate for that salesperson what your book is and who it's for. Because Mm -hmm. the, the idea is, let's say you're writing a science fiction book, right? Obviously, then this publisher also publishes other science fiction books. So the marketing department is trying to differentiate your novel from the Mm -hmm. one that was 
published last season and then the one that's being published next season. And so Mm. all of that is happening behind the scenes. That's something that an author basically never sees because there's literally so many meetings you're like between marketing and sales, presenting, talking, questions that the author literally never hears about, never knows about, doesn't even know is happening in the background, right? Mm. But these meetings are literally like days long. Every single salesperson is there. Marketing and editorial is presenting to them, trying to help them understand like who this one particular book is for. So when they go to a bookstore, when they go to Target, when they go to whatever, they Mm -hmm. know how to describe and then sell this book to that book buyer. And so that's what your marketing department is doing. And yeah. so then like the other thing to like really realize is that the marketing department works a lot in that sell-in phase. So that sell-in phase is your publisher. So this is for traditionally published books. When your publisher sells a book to a bookseller, as an author, what you should be doing is working on the sell-through. <clears throat> and the sell-through is when a consumer goes to a store, either online or in person, and then actually buys the book. Because it's only when you get that sell through sale, that Mm -hmm. that sell through that sale to an actual consumer, does it count? Does it count towards book scan? Does it count towards your royalty? Does it count for anything? Mm -hmm. Because also books are to bookstores are returnable items. So if the bookstore doesn't sell it, they can return it to your publisher. Yeah. So you really want so authors should be driving their audience, consumers into stores to buy the book. That's like what helps them be successful. That, that sale at the register. Yeah, exactly. And speaking of that, speaking of a sale at the register, now I've done, I've done my share of signings over at bookstores. I've done indie bookstores and I've also done Barnes and Noble. I've done a few few of those over there. It helped that that I worked over at Barnes and Noble for a oh. time. So that's yeah. that helped me out with kind of figuring out exactly how to get the books in there. Mm-hmm. And in my case it wound up being just like, oh, you're you're a writer and which I talked about during my interview. And then it was by talking about that more that prompted the manager to say like get your book in here. And then later on, we were able to set up the signing. But, but my through my history and everything, I was able to put together a basic breakdown of how authors can get their books into Barnes and Noble, which has helped, which has helped other people. Because I've seen that uh, on social media, a lot of people have been reaching out, thinking that Barnes and Noble is just this unreachable golden goose. When at the same time, it's like it's very easy to get in there. As long as you follow the steps and as definitely as long as you do not stick your bookmark in like random spots at the store, because employees hate that because they are the ones that have to pick it out there and keep an eye out for for any other ones to go in there. Guerrilla marketing has no place in 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 a Barnes and Noble. No, I agree. agree. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But at the same time, like my. My own issues. This is this is something that I have been dealing with myself a lot. Because I've not only done I've not only done signings at bookstores, but I've also done signings at conventions, mm-hmm. at conferences, and 
over dealing even things like like PenCon, which just recently closes doors. But I had been there for a few years and really enjoyed the time that I had there. And but at the same time, there is that when when events like that take place, there is like a flood of readers that come in and they know that they have a chance to meet this author and this author and this author. I always feel like I'm one of those authors that they have to that they walk by that I have to kind of like grab their attention and almost start from the bottom up from ever for every single person. So I feel like when I do that, I'm not really getting any real momentum when it comes to like building an audience. I'm just getting them one at a time while other authors have people literally lined up at their table to get their copy signed. Some of them even bringing their own copies already to get signed. So I'm curious, like, what would what would you say would be like the first step to really kind of get myself on that course? Because that's what I, I'm I'm in this position right now where my books are in flux because they're just signed with a new publisher after mm-hmm. the current publisher that I was with wound up having to close its doors. But I thankfully my agent was able to get me connected with this other publisher. So they will release the Excelsior books once book three is finished. So that's really in my court. I got to get that finished. That's the main project that I have for 2024, okay. at least for the first half, get it finished, get it done, get it sent in and everything. So that way it can get put on the schedule. Mm-hmm. But once it's on the schedule, then it's up to me really to mm-hmm. get the awareness up and running again. And mm-hmm. I'm just looking at this as like, okay, yeah, I hit that international best-selling status with the first Excelsior book, but there hasn't been much momentum since then. The closest thing to it would be the audio drama adaptation that I got to do of that first book that I did last year on Clubhouse, which is the poster that's right behind me. But I'm curious to know like what would be like what would be a good way to kind of start that process of building an actual audience that can be ready for that first book once it gets re-released a few questions so let's like is it okay if we kind of dig in are you able to give details okay so um when so the first two books they're going to release all three at the same time or are they going to stagger the releases my understanding is they're going to stagger the releases so but not not to a point where it's just like book one comes out in 2025 and then book two comes out in 2026 or anything like that. They're going to want to jump in, get those release dates as close as possible. That's why they want book three finished before they put book one on the schedule. So that way they can say like book one comes out in August, book two comes out in October, book three comes out in December. So something, something along those lines. And then, if when your first book is not mm-hmm. out yet with this publisher, are you still able to sell the your version? A version available for sale? There is an audio version because they they actually passed on the audio rights. So I have the audio rights myself. And and I was also able to put the audio drama out there in podcast form. So that I've always kind of looked at that as like a loss leader. Is something to kind of build awareness because it is like a two hour truncated version of the story, but it's a, it's a full production. It's a full cast. It's sound effects. It's a musical score. It's a full on audio drama. It's not an audio book, 
but I do have the audio book available as well because that's something that I recorded myself. But there's no print, uh, sorry, there's no ebook version available? Correct, correct. And so then the first time the ebook version is going to be, be available is when your new publisher puts it on their correct schedule. Yeah. Interesting. So um, I have the, so I have like the space of time to work with to really kind of build some form of momentum and I think like the the main key to that is getting is basically like putting out word about the progress of book 3. Yeah. That seems so, like that's like my my best course of action there. Same thing with your second book? The second book is finished. Second book is finished. It's with them. And it actually was out for a period of time. Okay. So. And I also have the audio rights to that as well. And there's and, an audio book for that. And there's audio book. Okay. Yeah. And then you're going to record your own third audio book? Yeah. They, and, they, they have relinquished all audio rights. That, so, and I'm an audio book narrator. So that's something that I am jumping into. Um. And are there any restrictions on how you can use the first two books? Well, are the first two books going to change at all? That is up to them. I have, I have yet to sit down and kind of go through the process of that. They want to really kind of put their attention on the trilogy once they have a completed trilogy. Okay. So I would say the overview of this would be build up your community right mm -hmm. so what does your community look like right now like where either numbers or people like tell me a little bit about them they're, they're kind of staggered i would say okay. i've gotten i've had adults read it i've had kids read it and i've even done some presentations at schools about it so it does reach a grade school level up it's a young adult science fiction and the character is 17, but at the same time, I've reached kids as early as 10. So is, is there a lot of violence? There's like, there's comic book style action and okay. not a drop of profanity. Okay. So do you, and do you think your reader is more upper middle grade person or an adult that reads YA? Uh, more upper, upper middle grade, I would say. Have you done any, have you talked to any like librarians, teachers, et cetera? I have not actually. I mean, I would say that there has been just like a little bit of conversations, but they never really went anywhere. So that's something I can definitely dive into. So I would say like, in my experience, mm -hmm. middle, <clears throat> true, true middle grade, so from ages like 8 to 12 or 8 to 14, mm -hmm. is actually the hardest range of, like, book to promote. Because, like, <laughs> picture books are, like, yes, <clears throat> everybody mm -hmm. loves to buy a picture book for their kid. Parents are mm -hmm. always buying it. A kid has to, like, listen to whatever you're reading, right? Yeah. But once you get to like eight, when they can fully read by themselves, they're, like, so fickle. It's like, I like this. Mm -hmm. it, I like this. I'll continue reading. This is so boring. And they just drop it and never pick it up again. Right. right. So in that middle grade <clears throat> range, your gatekeepers are really teachers and librarians, because I think a lot of parents don't know how to find books for their kids at that age. And it takes a mm -hmm. lot of effort because it's not as easy as like 
a picture book. It's not as like appealing as a picture book. Right. And then for, well, and then also why that eight to like 14 range is hard is because they're not supposed to be on social media. You can't market directly to them. There's like literally so many laws. It's like such a hard thing to do. Mm. And then YA is different because a lot of adults read read YA and then a lot of teenagers, right, then have their own money, they're starting to be on social media, etc. So I think if your book is kind of hovering at middle grade, upper middle grade, and then like kind of young YA, I would say talk to to some librarians, they love series, because kids love Mm. series, because it's also, you have to think about like, the kid and then the librarian. So it's like kids will go to a librarian because that's where they get their books, right? They don't have any money. They're Mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm looking for this. So then a librarian can say, try this. So your first book, then if Mm -hmm. they come back and say, I liked it, then you have something to offer them right away. Second and third. Mm -hmm. I would say also there are probably a ton of adults that would love to read your book because it sounds mm-hmm. fun, interesting, and a lot of just a lot of adults read YA. So I think it's starting to really like build your audience, really get them excited. And I think one part of your audience that you can build is, do you feel like you have a strong connection to other authors in your genre and area? Yes, I, be- I believe I do, especially in the in the geographical area. Because I'm also a member of the St. Louis Writers Guild. I served as mm-hmm. president for the Missouri Writers Guild. And I I'm always looking to network with other with other authors. I have fr- a lot of my friends in this area. They're all authors as well. And so we all really just kind of support each other and really kind of give each other that sort of encouragement. So I try my best to get my name out there in that realm. And I think that's also super helpful and plus important because I think other authors want to help other authors, right? So mm-hmm. <clears throat> I would say from now till your first book comes out, it's really about increasing your visibility. So how are you basically going to get in front of more people to tell them about your book? For mm-hmm. instance, like what's a way you can start just being out there more, being known as like a YA writer, right? And is that pulling Mm -hmm. in some of your author friends to do like panels at different conventions or at conferences and stuff like that, right? Starting Mm -hmm. to be really out there and active because basically you want your marketing going at like full speed Mm -hmm. once your first book comes out, not just starting to pick up, right? Mm-hmm. And so that starts with like visibility, right? And so this is where kind of I think authors have a hard time really understanding. Where you're visible doesn't mean, even though you're visible to a lot of people, does not mean they're all going to funnel down to buy your book. Right. And so <clears throat> that funnel, it, it takes time, one. And then mm-hmm. two, at every level of the funnel, people drop off. So even if you are let's say you do a panel at one of these like conferences or something, right? A ton of people see you, but then the next level is somebody's going to follow you on social, right? So Mm -hmm. only a small percentage of everybody who sees you will follow you. Mm -hmm. And then from social, only a small percentage of who's following you on social is going to subscribe to your email list. And then from your email list, a small percentage is going to buy your book, right? So, you want to be kind of like thinking about every stage of that funnel and trying to get people in and converting people like down the funnel, if that makes mm. sense, like through it the does. journey. Yeah. Yeah. 
that makes that makes a lot of sense, and that's definitely something to really really think about with this. So, so I'm curious to know for someone who book you know that's in progress. We'll say that this is this is someone who is they're finally they're finally putting away the aspiring author handle that they keep giving themselves, which that drives me nuts when I see that. This is like I'm an aspiring author who's written three novels, just like. You're an author. <laughs> Stop the aspiring thing. And yep. even someone who is who has finished like the first draft of their book. Yep. If they have done that, stop calling. I, I'm putting this out to all of you out there who are on social media. Stop calling yourself an aspiring author if you have a full draft of a novel. You have something that is finished, that is start, that you've taken from point A to point B now, the first draft is not the very end, but it right. is a huge step forward. And it's something that millions of people say they're going to do, but never do. So be proud of yourself and ditch that aspiring author part. You're an author, so it's time you own it. Mm -hmm. So for that person, they've written their first draft They've heeded my advice and they've removed aspiring from their bios. What is, what would you say that since that is very likely a, a, a great starting point for this, because if, if they can just show the title page for their first draft, uh -huh. it can always just end right there. But if they finish that first draft, that means that they're actually going to go somewhere with it. Right. So would you say that that is an ideal really kind of jumping point to get their own, to get their marketing campaigns up and running? And what would you say would be the first step that they need to do once that first draft is written? So much, so much. So there's so many ways <laughs> this could go. So mm -hmm. <clears throat> one thing that any author can do and that definitely authors need practice on is how are you talking about your book? How are mm -hmm. you describing your book? Because your quote unquote elevator pitch is how other people are going to describe your book. So for instance, think about, and I know this makes so many authors cringe. Think about yourself at a party and somebody says, oh, what do you do? Or what are your hobbies? Whatever. And you say, I'm a writer. I'm an author. And then somebody says, tell me about your book. And if you as the author cannot succinctly describe your book in like a sentence or two, no one is going to remember you. No one is going to mm -hmm. remember anything about your book. No one's going to remember that you wrote it because if you cannot describe your book and make it sound interesting, like nobody's going to be able to, right? Mm -hmm. And so the way you talk about and describe your book is how other people are going to. And so think about that and practice it. So I, I also give the advice of like your elevator pitch should be like roll off your tongue the way your phone number does. It should mm. be like a very simple, easy, like part of you. You just say it like, and it's just like, yeah, this is what it is. Isn't it interesting? Because mm -hmm. that is like a struggle that I see authors have so much, whether they're self-published or traditionally published, whether you have a small deal or a big deal. I mm -hmm. see so many authors struggling with that. So that's one. Mm -hmm. The second is, let's see, start like getting start getting more comfortable with the idea of self-promotion mm -hmm. because you're going to have to do a lot of that. And so I know it can feel very weird to talk about yourself or talk about your book, but you're going to have to do a lot of that um, as you're going through the promotion process. So mm -hmm. that's something you can start to work on. And then the other thing is 
get used to asking people to like do stuff for you. Like that's like a huge get get your call to action. Yeah. Ready. And and get also really used to having to ask people to do things for you. And mm. so one of the things that I have also seen is like a huge indicator of how successful somebody's marketing is going to be is how many relationships they've built. And so it's really like for me, the difference is if an author has spent a lot of time and like very genuinely tried to build relationships with people in the industry, their peers, their audience, it really shows versus somebody who's kind of like in a silo, just mm -hmm. working on their craft or working on their book. Because a lot of the marketing <clears throat> process is going to be about you asking people to do stuff for you, right? And so whether it's like you asking a peer author to write a blurb for you, you asking somebody to help you, um, host an event, you asking somebody to like be in an in conversation or in a panel with you, you asking your audience to pre-order your book, buy your book, leave a review, engage with your post, right? So there's mm -hmm. so many um, opportunities where you're going to have to ask somebody to do something for you. Like mm -hmm. you have to get really used to that idea. Yeah. And that's like very hard for authors I found because a lot of times authors are like, but I don't want to be a salesperson. I don't want to mm -hmm. ask somebody. And I'm like, well, that's like, this is part of the process now. Yeah. You have to ask people to help you. And mm -hmm. then my advice also when they kind of like really cringe, I just see that like, oh, that shrink down mm -hmm. is the easiest way to kind of combat that is to start thinking about acting the way you would want somebody in your community to act. So for instance, if you would love somebody to leave a review for your book, which mm -hmm. you absolutely do, start leaving reviews for other people, other authors, other peers, share your reviews. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also think about like how you can uplift other people and don't do it in a way where it's like a one for one, like George left me a review. I'm going to leave one review for him. It's like, oh, I read George's book. It was so great. I would like love to share this with my audience because like they would love to read this like amazing book. Oh, mm -hmm. I'm just on Amazon. I can just leave a quick review, whatever it is. I think kind of building that genuine relationship and then being like providing value, right? Mm -hmm. Providing, providing that value before you need it, right? So putting some money in the like value bank before you before it's your turn to kind of like cash in on that. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think it's one way to build like a lot of goodwill in the area. So you're able to have some goodwill to like call in when you need it. Right. Yeah. For when your book comes out right. and that kind of helps people helps authors kind of feel a little bit more comfortable because the authors who are like, I don't want to self-promote. I'm like, well, do people ask you and do you want to do it? And they're like, yeah, I'm happy to help people. So it's kind mm -hmm. of like helping them see that it's like a two-way street, right? Yeah. Yes, you should absolutely help people. But also, like, it's okay for you to ask people to, like, help you back. That is fabulous. And that actually kind of brings me back to... Um, a small group that I was a part of back in the end of 2010 to 2011 that was made up of a lot of different, a whole bunch of different indie authors. And what we would do is we would have events that we would basically kind of put everyone together as a small group and everything, but we would 
promote the person who was scheduled to go the day before us and the one scheduled to go the day after us. And we would use that to kind of put that into our promotions. And it made things so much easier because it wasn't just going buy my book, buy my book, buy my book, like putting it out there on social media. It's saying buy his book, buy her book, buy their book, buy this book that's coming out. This is great. And so it was our responsibility as part of this group to read the the book that was scheduled to come the day before us and read the book that was scheduled to mm-hmm. come after us. Mm-hmm. So that way, when our blog posts were put out on yes. that particular day, then we could talk about both of those books. And it was so great. And it created friendships that are still going on to this day for me. And so that's something that I was really proud of. And it's something that I really want to make sure that a lot of people realize like that you have that option. Just like you said, it doesn't just have to be just putting the word out to, to get everything funneled over to you. You're by spreading the wealth, by spreading that sort of awareness to other books, then everyone wins because it's a lot easier to talk about someone else's book than it is to talk about your own. So exactly. Exactly. I think that that, Right. Like the idea of helping someone else, authors Mm -hmm. love, right? They love that. They're like, this is actually an amazing book. I know exactly who would want to read this. But then they just, there's something about that self-promotion that like really is really tough. So also have somebody else do it for you, right? Right. And, And then it feels like an equal an equal like exchange, basically. But I think it's and what that touches on, right, is like one, you've built relationships with the people in your um, like genre or your community. And then two, it gets you like out there, right? Gets you like posting on social. It gets you interacting with people. It gets you talking because your content shouldn't just be my book, my book, my book, because mm-hmm. people really, I mean, people are nosy, right? They want to know yeah. like everything about you. Like, what did you eat? Where did you write? What, like, what kind of t-shirt do you like? Whatever. People yeah. just want to know about you and mm-hmm. <clears throat> giving them an opportunity by showing them like, oh, the people you socialize with or the people that you find that are your peers, right? That tells them a lot about you. Showing them like the books that you like to read, right? That also gives them like an insight into you because mm-hmm. I also feel like the most like, successful authors are the ones that also feel like a friend to people and a friend is someone that yeah you support their work but you also there's other things you really like care about about them in their life you like know like about them where they're like going on vacation where they're whatever growing in their garden and it doesn't have to be so like invasive it doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be like I've given up my privacy it's just you have to be like just aware that people need connection points with you. I'm definitely mm-hmm. not saying like, show the front of your house, show your car. Like, it's not that. Right. It's more show just your license like, plate. <laughs> I know. It's yeah. more like, what parts of yourself can you share with someone that mm-hmm. might resonate with them? Because people also want to know, like, who's behind the book, right? Like, yeah. who's writing this? And like, how can I relate to them? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that happens with like a lot of interactions. That happens with a lot of like little things. And so also how I describe marketing is like 
a lot of times I also think authors think about marketing as like one thing. They think it's like planning one, like, like they're planning their wedding. It's like months or a year of planning like one day. And that yeah. one day is their on sale day. But I'm mm-hmm. like, no, that's like the wrong way to like plan your book marketing. Book marketing is more like meal planning. You do it mm-hmm. all the time. Sometimes it's really annoying and hard and you don't want to do it. And maybe you're not as good at it one week, but then the next week it's like a fresh week and you're like amazing at it because it's like a lot of like little things done constantly. And the Mm -hmm. more you do it, like the easier it becomes. So when you first start meal planning, it's like really tough. You're like, what do I have in my freezer? What have in my refrigerator? How long does this take? Do I even feel like eating this? But then a year later, you're like, okay, I know. I don't really like to cook two hour meals on the weekdays. My husband doesn't like fish. My kids don't like bell peppers, whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the things that you can like do to like get the meal on the table and you just get better and better at it. So -hmm. it's kind of like that shift from like huge event wedding to like, Oh, this is just like something I'm just going to be doing as an author. I'm going to be like Mm -hmm. constantly just promoting myself and then my book. Right. And just as you said that they want to feel like the author is a friend, I definitely consider you a friend for coming on here and especially at such short notice and for taking the time to talk about this crucial element that so many authors are missing. Now, how can my audience reach out to you to hopefully gain your employ? Yeah. So I am on Instagram and TikTok and my handle is Steph Moon Co. I also have a website and I will send all those links to George to include in the show notes. But I am here for you, cheering you on. I know that marketing can be so intimidating, but it doesn't have to be. Absolutely. Yeah. Here for you. Absolutely. And thank thank you, Stephanie, for, for taking the time to be on here and really share your gift with 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 this with my audience with my listeners and hopefully with as many of you authors that are out there this really is the crucial element that so many of us are lacking just and it's and it's not a bad thing that we have that creative impulse but not the marketing impulse but thankfully there are people like Stephanie that have both that creative and marketing impulse combined that can help you get to those next stages. And that is someone that we desperately need in our corner, that we desperately need on our team, and someone who can provide you with those those crucial elements to really get your book to that next level. So as 2024 starts, I really hope that you are able to take advantage of everything that you have learned here and everything that you're going to learn in the future once you contact Stephanie to work with her and work with your book because your book needs to get out there and a lot of people really need to know about it. And that's where people like Stephanie come in. So for Stephanie Moon, this is George Soroy saying to all of you, Ever Upward, and I will see you next week. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Excelsior Journeys. I hope it was both inspiring and entertaining. Special thanks to Zach Comtois for providing new music for the intro and outro. Please take a moment to leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, 
please share it with your friends and subscribe to your platform of choice by going to he's got it.com slash podcasts. While there, you can also fill out the application to be a guest, inquire about sponsorship opportunities, and click on the Buy Me a Coffee link if you wish to give your support to the show. All interaction is very much appreciated. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion for the show, please direct it to george at he's got it.com.